Let us pray. Speak to us, living God, as you have spoken to our ancestors, through the voices of your prophets, through the breath of your spirit, through the life of your Son, so that we might live according to your word, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Last spring, in the early days of the pandemic, my husband Michael and I would often pack up our car with our two young kids, a backpack carrier, the diaper bag, a change of clothes, hiking boots, lunch boxes, and lots of wipes. And we would drive and to the West Point on the Eno, whether it was rain or shine or cold, we would head over to this city park. This park did not close throughout the pandemic. It was allowed to stay open. And it offered 388 acres to explore. So it was a very large space in which to physically distance from other people. However, particularly in these early days of the pandemic, we hardly saw other people. Fatigue hadn't yet set in, and so people were all just staying close to home. If you saw another human being around, it felt remarkable. It was good for us to let our kids be out in nature before we returned home, savoring the budding trees, the flowing stream of water, letting our kids run through the woods. It was lovely to have those smells and sights nourishing our overwhelmed nerves. One day we saw a trash truck coming around the corner in the parking lot. We always notice trash trucks these days because with a three-year-old and a two-year-old, large vehicles are very exciting events. But on this day, last spring, the truck driver was also one of the few people we had seen in person that day. The driver went over to the overflowing trash can alongside the parking lot. He did his job, got down from the truck, secured the unwielding can to the mechanical arm, had it hauled up, dumped into the back of the trash truck, and then returned the now empty trash can to its rightful place, safely tucked away out of the line of cars, away from the path, footpath through the woods. Then he drove off. My kids clapped and cheered, as they usually do. But on this day, I found myself caught by a wave of emotion I had not had before. I was stunned and teary. It hit me that while we were able to keep each other safe by working remotely, keeping the kids out of their preschool, seeking solace in a beautiful outdoor place, this man was still going in to work. We were able to enjoy that park only because someone was there hauling away the trash. In the middle of a pandemic, this man still was tasked with the work of maintenance and care, and we were benefiting immensely from it. Indeed, the pandemic has forced all of us to reconsider some of our social structures of maintenance and care. Churches have had to reimagine how to connect with parishioners who no longer pass through the pew or the fellowship hall or even the handshake line. Our society has had to admit our dependence upon workers like warehouse packers and delivery truck drivers, care nurses and cleaning crews and customer service representatives. Without these workers, it has become clear that our social functioning would slow to a chaotic crawl. This reminds me of an article I came across two years ago, an article that compelled me then and convicts me now. 
It was written by scholar Shannon Mattern in Places Journal, and it was titled Maintenance and Care, A Working Guide to the Repair of Rust, Dust, Cracks, and Corrupted Code in Our Cities, Our Homes, and Our Social Relationship. Doesn't sound very exciting, but in it, Mattern points out how maintenance is something that we rarely think of as exciting and profitable and interesting, and so we don't spend a lot of time talking about it in our social discourse. We, as a society, would much rather spend time, energy, money discussing new ideas of innovation, invention, entrepreneurship. Indeed, I've had the same experience in church work. I have sat on several committees for new worshiping communities or a thousand and one new worshiping communities. I have set, sat in many workshops talking about how to initiate alternative worship experiences such as pub church or dinner church or barbecue church or messy church. These are worthwhile conversations to have. But when you are in a meeting around these new initiatives and you ask, well, who's going to maintain this when the founding pastor leaves? Or what institution is going to buy the pastor's health insurance? Well, then the excited conversation drives up. Similarly, Mattern's article convicted me with this rhetorical question. What would happen to our cities if we stopped maintaining our sewer lines? What would happen to our rural communities if we stopped maintaining our roadways? For all of our social aspirations of innovation or rhetoric of self-reliance, things would get problematic very quickly. Innovation isn't bad, but separated from the needs of maintenance, our conversation around it remains woefully incomplete. Today's scripture passages remind me of this. They are meant to put us in our place. These scripture passages remind us that we are not the great creators and innovators and saviors that we might imagine ourselves. We are not in charge and in control. God is saying to us, you are not responsible for saving my sheep. I am. You are not in charge of judgment. Christ is. We are not called to start the work of discipleship, but rather we are called to continue it, to maintain it to keep it going, to find the places where the Holy Spirit is already hard at work in the world. We are not expected to create the body of Christ, but rather we are being commanded to tend to it, to care for it, right now. To value care rather than just invention, to give accolades to nurturing rather than just innovating, this requires a radical restructuring of our world's value systems. Mattern, in her article, also makes this connection between how we talk about maintenance and how we talk about care. She quotes several other scholars who define care as everything that we do to maintain, continue, and repair our world so that we may live in it as well as possible. That world includes our bodies, ourselves, and our environment, all of which we seek to interweave in a complex, life-sustaining web. Another scholar argues that caring involves an ethico-political commitment to the neglected and oppressed, 
and a concern with the effective dimensions of our material world. We care for things not because they produce value, but because they already have value. To care for something is to tend to it, nurture it, seek to sustain it. Caring for something means paying close attention to how it works, how it functions, what it needs. We don't always value this continual process, this close attention. As another scholar writes, maintenance falls outside of our current value creation system. So understanding and accounting for maintenance practices may undermine who and what we currently think of as important. Our gospel passage speaks of this reality. It forces us to ask, to whom do we pay attention? Whose needs do we concern ourselves with day after day? To whom do we ascribe authority and whose power are we invested in maintaining? The Gospel of Matthew describes a kingdom where we care for people not because we believe that they can produce something valuable, but rather because we believe that they are inherently, essentially valuable. Today is Christ the King Sunday. As we have said, as we have sung, this liturgical day is a recent addition to the church's calendar, started in 1925 by Pope Pius XI. As Reverend Libby Howe quotes in a recent edition of the Christian Century, Pope Pius XI instituted this in a world that had been ravaged by the First World War. It had begun to bow down before the lords of exploitative consumerism, nationalism, secularism, and new forms of injustice. Pope Pius envisioned a dominion by a king of peace who came to reconcile all things, who came not to be served, but to serve. It was started in the year 1925, Christ the King Sunday was started, the same year that Mussolini was taking over Italy, that Hitler was consolidating his political party in Germany, that 40,000 Ku Klux Klan members had just marched in Washington, and seven years after a pandemic had decimated populations around the globe. Christ the King Sunday is the day when we name Jesus with the most exalted title that we can imagine here on earth, King of all nations. And yes, this title creates problems with its patriarchal and materialistic tones, but if we look at this title in relation to our gospel passage today, we can hear good news in how it actually resists and subverts the triumphalist value system upon which we so often build our culture. In the Gospel of Matthew, we hear Jesus say that he will be seated on a throne and then, in the same breath, he describes how the enthroned king is actually the same as the hungry prisoner and the naked stranger in our midst right now. This is a radical restructuring of the way the world ascribes power and privilege, authority and attention. When we say Christ is king, we say God alone is worthy of our allegiance, and in so doing, we push back against the seduction of supremacist hierarchies and authoritarian hero worship. 
When we say Christ is on the throne, we also must confront how we might not have recognized Christ on the margins. This passage, these words of Jesus, make us ask ourselves, when we have seen someone in need of care, how have we responded? How have we responded as individuals, as a community, as a nation? For here's the most profound point to me when I was rereading this passage. Neither the nations on the king's right or the ones on his left, neither the sheep nor the goats, recognize the king when they care for him. Both ask, when did we see you? Both need the king to explain the situation to them. As one pastor describes it, this means the sheep have not been acting in some calculated way to earn God's favor. They have simply been doing what comes naturally for them in caring for their neighbors in need. Their actions are a sign of their relationship with a loving and merciful God. Those on the king's left are likewise surprised to learn that they have encountered him too in the lowly and needy. They too have simply been doing what comes naturally, looking out for their own interests, not being bothered with the needs of others. This too is a sign of their relationship or lack thereof with the Son of Man. They simply do not know him or understand his way of love and mercy. This is a deeply important point. It is not that the righteous ones, the sheep, have built some effective system to identify who is worthy of aid and who is not. Rather, the sheep have built a community that pays attention, that sees the need around them and responds to it without calculation or expectation or hope of remuneration. The sheep do not live as if they can figure out where the worthy king is hidden among the prisoners. Rather, they live as if each and every prisoner is already as worthy as a king. Most of the people we might know or see who are involved in the activism of mutual aid don't see what they are doing is that remarkable or radical. I was taught this again on Thursday night when listening to the speakers for the chapel's workshop on signs of hope, building a movement, facilitated by Rev Reverend Brianna Van Velzen. Alicia Crosby, a Duke Divinity student and justice educator, was one of the speakers. She shared how many of her family members, people that she'd watched doing activism for years, whether organizing clothing drives or petitioning a landlord to keep a structure safe, many of these family members wouldn't call themselves activists or justice seekers. They just considered themselves and what they were doing as caring for the community. They thought of what they were doing as treating people with worth and dignity. Licia said, people often think of justice work as something done over there. But there are things in us that the spirit endows us with and moves in us when we are sensitive to certain issues, sensitive to the ways that people are impacted so that we are moved to respond. If there's nothing else I say to you tonight, it's this. Remember all the little things, all the ways you are already engaged in this work. Here is the good news for we who are Christians. We believe that Christ has already done the big things. 
We are not called to start or save the world. We are not called to sort and judge our neighbors. That is not on our to-do list. God in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has already done that work. The beginning and the end are not in our hands. What we are called to do right now is care for the body of Christ in this time and in this place. And not just in the church, but in the prisons, in the streets, in city council meetings and around kitchen tables, in all the nooks and crannies of our lives. We are called to build communities that pay attention to the needs in our midst. We are called to the work of discernment and continually renewing discipleship. We are called to resist the powers and principalities of the world and say that you do not have the final word. We are called to ask, what if Jesus our Christ is already here? We are not called to save and sort the world. We are called to pay attention to it, to notice it, to notice those who are vulnerable, hungry, shivering, shaking, imprisoned, and isolated. We are called to tend to them, listen to them, value them, treat them with the worth of rulers, not just once, but over and over and over again. So the next time we celebrate an exciting invention, I hope we also ask, well, who's keeping the room clean where that work could be done? And who's checking the equipment? And who is making sure that everyone there got enough rest in order to do the job well? Who else is helping out? And the next time we read about a great entrepreneur, let us also ask, well, who is making their meals? Who's tending for their kids? Who is helping them maintain the rest of their lives? And the next time we imagine Christ as king, let us also imagine who cared for him when he was hungry, stripped of his clothes, cast into prison or thrown out of town? Who cared for his family when he was crucified, died, and was buried? Who tended to the body of Christ then, and who is tending to the body of Christ now? Today is Christ the King Sunday, but if we look for Jesus on the throne, we will miss him here in the world. And even if we look for Jesus here in the world, we still might not recognize him. So let us pay attention, especially in this tough time of a pandemic, of many pandemics. Let us pay attention to those who are already at work responding to the needs of those in our midst those who are already feeding our hungry, clothing our homeless, welcoming our strangers, visiting our prisoners, protecting our vulnerable, tending to our children. Let us value this work as if Jesus him, Christ, was doing it. Let us value this work as if Jesus the Christ himself was doing it, for indeed, friends, he already is. Thanks be to God.